yeah, I've just been such a massively dreadful, stressed out mode. I don't think I, no, I don't think I'm losing it or anything, but I've deleted like three or four episodes of this show, which is probably for the best. I've even done ones where I talk for an hour into the mic and everything, and I just end up deleting it. That's a good process, though. I feel like especially when you do something like this. Because I'm not the kind of person who will, like, finish a drawing and then rip it apart or throw it out like some melodramatic, self-hating artist. But when you just talk into a mic for an hour and you don't like what you say, it's nice that you can just toss it. It's like you destroy the empty space. To invoke my favorite Black Sabbath lyric, you, you destroy the empty space by saying something and recording it. But you can just as easily delete it and return everything to its natural nothingness. How's that for poetry? I think the Black Sabbath lyric on its own is better. But I just saw something. It was some statistic. You know, and I lost track of dating apps a long time ago. Like, I still think of Tinder, Tendril, as the current one. But I know there's been a bunch since then. Because, I mean, the last time that I even looked at a dating app must have been maybe early 2015. So it's been a long time. It's been over six years for sure. And, uh, but so like, I know there are other ones now, like every once in a while I'll talk to somebody like a friend, a friend of mine broke up with his girlfriend at one point and was like, Oh, I got on Bumble. And I forget that that's, I, I just don't even know really. Obviously I've heard that before. Obviously I've heard these names, but there's another one hinge. The names get me, man. <laughs> they sound like nightclubs, you know? Like, Hinge sounds like some new nightclub in town. Like, did you go to Hinge? And that's pretty much what it is. I guess they sound that way because it's pretty much what it is. Even Tinder. Tinder sounds like a shitty nightclub that would open up in my hometown. The only nightclub in Kirkland when I was growing up was called Dynamite. We used to talk about it, and you'd hear every once in a while. Like in, by the time we got into junior high, every once in a while, you'd hear like, "Oh, did you hear like Mari and uh, Jennifer snuck into dynamite?" <laughs> dynamite. I haven't, I haven't thought about dynamite in a long, long time. It was right in downtown Kirkland, but t Tinder sounds like that. Because they always have names that like hint at something explosive or fire. So Tinder sounds like a nightclub. Bumble doesn't. Bumble's a, uh, that's a nightclub for developmentally slow people or something. Bumble sounds like a playground, like not a playground. Uh, Bumble sounds like daycare or something. Bumble care. <laughs> Bumble care. Oh, I have to drop my kid off at Bumble Care. Oh, yeah, me and Sandy, we're both working full time, so we have to drop Junior off at Bumble. But, uh, what I was going to say, though, Hinge. Hinge is the one. That sounds the most like a nightclub. Hinge sounds the most like a nightclub. But what got me thinking about it is I just saw these statistics for Hinge. I ran, I mean, I I don't look these things up. I just came across it randomly. Not that I'd be ashamed. I wouldn't be ashamed if I told you I look these things up deliberately. But I just want you to know I didn't. But anyway, there were statistics for Hinge. <laughs> like, here's, here's an app that, like, I didn't even remember existed. 
a dating site, a dating app that I didn't even remember existed. And here I know the statistics now. It was just, it was like incel sort of stuff. It was like the statistics that are relevant to incels where it said something like 10% of the men get 60% of the likes. And I assume that likes are the same thing as like swiping right. I assume that likes are equivalent to saying you, you're into somebody. But just the fact that that information, like, because the way I see that is that information made its way out so that, you know, men who are already kind of, men who already have a dark cloud over them will see that and it'll confirm what they already believe, which is that, you know, attention isn't distributed fairly. Like men who women like more will get a, a larger amount of the attention. That's just how it's going to work. Um, and I mean, the, the, the stats said too that it's not that far off for women. It was something like 45, like, like I think it said something like 10% of the women maybe get 45% of the attention, which honestly isn't as extreme as I thought. You know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, or, or rather, it's a higher number than I thought, I guess. You know, I would have I would have expected things to be a little more evenly distributed among women, but I guess not. But but anyway, like the focus was on the men, of course, because that's sort of part of this dialogue. And like, I don't I don't pick on incels. You know, as I've said before, incels are the kind of guys, I think, in many cases who if they just got it over with. Like if those guys just had sex with like one or two girls who they thought they could be proud of or just have two girlfriends, like I don't even think those guys are just, I mean, I think those guys in many cases are the kind of guys who want a girlfriend more than anything, more than just sex, just the way they're wired, I, I would bet. But what I was going to say is, is those are the kind of guys too, though, where it's like if they could just have sex with like one or two girls or have one or two girlfriends who are like above average looking. I feel like they would realize they don't care that much. I think that's the biggest problem. It's, just, it's like being told you can't have this one thing and it becomes about something other than what it even is. But it's not surprising to me that a small number of men get a, a higher percentage of the attention, most of it. I feel like that's just the way things are. And it lends itself to the idea too that some people are just innately more attractive and uh, that kind of goes against the idea that society conditions us to only like certain types of people because you know you could say that the conditioning runs so deep that even when we are privately looking at people on our phone with no uh, no strings attached nobody watching us like you could say that the conditioning runs so deep that even then you'll think you like that. But that gets down a weird line of thought because, I mean, people always talk about how like, oh, your men are conditioned to like women who are platinum blonde with big deities and uh, they like them really skinny. That was always the line growing up because that's how a lot of women looked on magazine covers. But it's not like men... It, not that many men got involved with girls like that. You know, it's not like men, men are 
were pretty happy to get what they got. And like speaking for myself too, it's like, yeah, like those are the first women that I remember like tearing their pictures out of magazines and putting them on my wall and things like that. You know, those are the first women that I remember like as, as puberty hit, you know, I, I won't go into detail. It's all pretty innocent though. But anyway, just like those are the women though that like you had access to. Like if you bought a magazine, those are the types of women that would be in it. If you like, you know, you were watching TV, you're going to see a beach show, not even necessarily Baywatch, although that too, but they had a bunch of shows that were Baywatch knockoffs, which I watched more of. I liked the women a little more. It was less dated. And they all had blonde, bleached blonde girls who were hot. And I liked that. Like I, I watched that stuff because it was so readily available. And the sort of argument that was being made, like the sort of feminist argument at the time was like, oh, they're brainwashing young men into thinking that's the standard of beauty. And therefore, they'll expect all women to be bleached blonde with big DDs and thin frames. You know, that, that was kind of the line of thought. But it turns out that didn't really get etched into people's minds. Like men went on to like what was trendy next. You know what I mean? Like men were pretty fine with the next trend too. Like at some point, a lot of women stopped bleaching their hair and stopped tanning. Like when hot hipster girls became the big thing, like all these men who were my age gravitated toward that. It wasn't like they were like, I'd, I'd really appreciate it if instead of being a hot hipster girl, you looked like you were on the set of Baywatch. Like men didn't do that. You know, that, so it's like they weren't conditioned to just have one standard of beauty. And like speaking for my friends, like especially like friends of mine who could pretty much have any woman they wanted, you know, it's not like they even go for one type either. And so I don't think that men were brainwashed into liking one type of woman at all. And uh, or, or holding women to too high of a standard, maybe some men, but to think that that's the average among men, I, I don't know, I just don't see it. But anyway, to go back to this hinge thing. Like in the privacy of your own home, you can like whoever you like. And for the reasons I just stated, I don't think people have it 100% etched in their brain that they have to go for one type of girl. And speaking for myself, like when you're a man on OkCupid, like my experience was on OkCupid and briefly Tinder. But what I remember on there is like as a man, you're constantly looking down. Like you're willing to go down a few pegs. And not in a sexual way, like I just mean like just to even get a response. You're willing to message a girl who if you saw her in person, you wouldn't think, oh, that's the kind of girl I like. But like you'll you'll look at a girl on when you're on where when you're <laughs> when you're when you're on OKCupid, like you'll look at a woman and if you haven't been getting any messages or anything, like you might just message her. And because it's like, oh, you know, she's she's average looking, but you know what? I'm not getting any attention from anybody else because the beautiful women on OkCupid are just getting inundated and the average women are getting inundated way more than the average man is. People have broken all this down. You know, it's not even me just making this up. Like the hinge thing proves that this is still going on. But what I was going to say is like as a man, like you'll – because I mean they say this about men. They say men date across and down and that women date across and up in terms of attractiveness, in terms of status. I believe that's true because I mean that's – I don't – I'm not somebody who will – like 
I'm more than happy to be single for long periods of time rather than settle for somebody that I'm not ultimately attracted to. But even then, when I was on those dating sites, because when you're on those dating sites, you're, you've already committed to the idea that you're looking for a date. And therefore, you, you end up talking to people like, you know, because if you're just out in public and or you're out doing something else, you're at a bar, you're not necessarily looking for that specifically. And that actually makes it more likely you will meet somebody because you're not desperate. But if you're on a dating site, you're by default desperate. You're some form of desperate, in my opinion. I think anytime you go there, your desperation meter starts increasing. Doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, doesn't matter how much attention you're getting, doesn't matter how secure you are. I think there's something inherently desperate about a dating app. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it. But as I've said on this show, you're saying a Tinder prayer, baby. You're saying a Tinder prayer. You're basically saying a prayer. And saying a prayer, people often do it in moments of desperation. It's like you're saying a prayer when you get on Tinder. You're saying, God, please, please give me a good match and have her be within driving distance. Have her be average looking at the very least. You know, that's what people are saying to themselves, whether they know it or not. But uh, so there's something inherently desperate about it. And so as a result, like as a man, like you're on there and I wouldn't, I didn't use it that much. You know, I'm not somebody who used it extensively. And I think that makes my point even stronger, which is that even then, even though I wasn't on there all the time and I, it was really a brief window of my life when I was on there, even then though, I found myself being willing to look down because I was like, the chances of meeting somebody are so low. The chances of getting attention from a woman on here are so low statistically. And you don't have to see the statistics to know that. You don't have to see dating app statistics to know that as a man, there's a good chance you're at least going to get significantly fewer messages than your female equivalent. I think that's kind of where people rest. And... You know, you're, it's, it's like you're not just trying to explain who you are. It's like you're also trying to sell yourself. It's like you might as well be on LinkedIn. Um, you might as well be trying to get a job interview. But going back to these statistics, you know, I'm not surprised at all that percentages are, are distributed that way. You know, that shouldn't be surprising at all. And when I saw it, cause like I, the way I saw it framed online was as if like, see, see, this is how much it sucks to be a dude looking for love, dude. This is how much it sucks to be a dude looking for love. You know, that was kind of the vibe, the way it was framed, but I saw it and that's not what I thought. My first thought was it sucks that this is like, it sucks. Not just that that's the reality, because again, I think, I don't, I don't know if I hammered this home, but I think that's natural. I think no matter how much people want to say that beauty is conditioned or burned into our brains, you know, it just goes back to that chicken or the egg argument where people have convinced themselves that society created people or that society created people's preferences and thoughts. It's like, who created society? Did you forget who created society? And I mean... Probably more accurately, society and people created each other at the same time. But society was a reflection of people's taste. 
And yeah, taste changes based on the time and place and culture and all that. But for the most part, there is just something kind of basically beautiful that we all recognize. There is a hierarchy of attractiveness. And it's not all just beauty either. There's a distinction between beauty and sexual attractiveness. I mean, I experience that sometimes where I'll see a woman who I know she's beautiful, especially very thin women, because I'm not attracted to women who are very thin. And I'll see a woman who's very thin, like model thin, and I'm like, she's beautiful and I know it. I recognize her beauty. She has an extremely pretty face. I find her attractive even. But I do not find her that sexually attractive. Yeah, she's more sexually attractive to me than a, a man. But I don't see her and immediately think, man, because she's beautiful, I'm also sexually attracted to her. I don't feel that way. Whereas there's a certain sort of woman, though, too, where I find her very sexually attractive, but she's not necessarily that beautiful. Usually there's kind of a crossover. It's not just, I mean, I know people, I have friends who... The women they find sexually attractive are not beautiful at all. And I'm not talking about their girlfriends. I'm just talking about like these women that they'll go after on purpose, like for some perverse purpose. Uh, I, I wouldn't go there with it myself, but I kind of like a Venn diagram of these things of sexual attractiveness and just beauty. I like a little bit of both a lot, you know, I like a balance there, but because that's the ideal, of course. I'm just stating the obvious. Oh, I'd like I, I'd like a girl to be beautiful and sexually attractive. Oh, man, that's that's a revolutionary idea. That's a revolutionary. You want a girl who has a balance of sexuality and beauty? <laughs> Whoever heard of that? Whoever heard of that fetish? <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> that's how you know it's really late. Um, but anyway, w with that, it's like I think you know society and people reflected each other's tastes and I think society does reinforce certain things but like the point I was making earlier about like bleached blonde bimbos and this idea that oh no like that's being hammered into men's heads and they'll never want anything else and then like the next trend came along and men were like dude I, I love girls with short hair hipster cuts so hot dude like the same guys who were into bleached blonde girls they just, it turns out they'll just like any hot girl, but there is commonality between them. You know, like it's for the same reason that like a guy who is reasonably attractive will have a fat girlfriend with a really pretty face. And you see it like as, as an outsider, like you see it. And even if the girl's pretty big and I'm not trying to be mean about anything here, it is what it is. But even if the girl's pretty big as another guy, like I'll look at that and I might be like, whoa, that guy's girlfriend is like he or like that that girl's really fat and her boyfriend's in good shape and but then i'll look at her face and i'm like she's really pretty though and i'm like oh yeah you know it just makes sense you know and you don't often see that with a heavy girl who's not very attractive in the face you know it's very rare to see a dude who's you know above a average or above average and then to see his girlfriend and she's ugly and fat like you usually don't see those and when you do you're kind of like whoa it stands out to you but if she's got a really pretty face you're like i get it there's something about a pretty face that does something and i mean i've got i, I you know i'm pretty i feel like i'm pretty liberal with weight i'm not somebody who I, I don't like women to be that in shape or that thin or anything but anyway 
Talking about pretty faces, huh? Hey, what are you guys talking about? Pretty faces? But that is just a funny thing where it's like usually if, the, if she's got a pretty face as another guy, you see that and you're like, yeah, of course. And it makes total sense. Um, where were we going with it? Oh, yeah. I just don't think this stuff is conditioned and burned into people's brains because it changes so often. And when people are in private, like swiping, when they're liking and swiping, as they say, they can like anything they want, and I think they do. The statistics say that men do. Although some men are probably aiming down because it's easier, that stat still suggests to me that men are a little looser, but not as significantly as you might think. You know, like I said, I, I would have expected women to be like at 30%. Like 10% of the women get 30% of the attention. Although I shouldn't be surprised, actually. 45% kind of makes sense. Here I am analyzing it. But when I saw that information and I saw it framed around like, this is how much it sucks to be a guy, dude. Dude, you know how much it sucks to be a guy on Hinge? It's like, maybe you should get off Hinge. Because Hinge is just reflecting nature. And that's not conditioned. Because that's the thing about incel types. And again, I don't like to pick on incels. I really don't. I think they're guys who just need to get it over with. God dang it. In many cases. I mean, some of them are really truly messed up. But I think a lot of them are guys who just need to get past it. And I mean, I know they're not all virgins. Like an incel can apparently be a guy who just, he's maybe he's not a virgin, but he's still kind of hung up. He can't attract women. It's, he might just want a girlfriend. I understand that. There's a range to the incel, but one of the things about that is that's just a reflection in nature. Like they want to look at hinge statistics. And when I saw that somebody was posting hinge statistics, hinge statistics, but when I saw that, like hinge metrics, I was just like, I didn't see it from the point of view of like, oh my God, can you believe those statistics? I saw it from the point of view of like, oh, can you believe that people are analyzing hinge statistics? Can you believe that men are analyzing the statistics from this dating app to like, you don't need those statistics to know that that's how it works. You know, it's something everybody already knows, but it's like you're continually, you're, you're continually looking for proof of something you already know. That's what gets me about a lot of things. Like so often people are continually looking for proof of something they already just know. Like if, if you're the type of guy who struggles to get women you already know that men who are conventionally attractive get a disproportionate amount of attention and a lot of lucky breaks in life. I mean, it goes for just weight too. Like I felt like people took me seriously when I went from being super fat to average. Like I felt like, like immediately... I noticed that people treated me a little bit differently, not fundamentally, because it's not like I was getting bullied before or anything like that, but I just felt like people, just something in their eye, something in their body language, it was like they were less distracted, if nothing else. And not that I was that, you know, it's not like, it's not like I was 400 pounds, but still, it's that sort of thing where you're like, oh, I kind of feel like people are giving me more of the benefit of the doubt. And people talk about that, like people have researched that sort of thing, but it was just, that was my experience. So it's like a guy who is like sitting there looking at hinge statistics and he's like, see, see, 10% of the men get 60% of the women. 
It's like you already knew that, so why do you need more proof? Why do you need to look at numbers? This is just worse for you. It's worse for you to look at those numbers. But you know, it also just thing about that, like, because I saw it from that point of view. I saw it like from the bigger picture of like, it's not about the fact that the statistics are not fair. It's about the fact that you're even looking at the statistics at all. Like, look at where we're at, people. Look at where we're at, people, where people are reviewing, they're analyzing dating app statistics that do reflect something natural. Not and like and the thing is about those guys too. I was going to say a second ago is like incels and everything. Like there's a number of them who almost take the same approach that like fat activists do and stuff like that. Where it's almost like they take the attitude that it's like society has conditioned women to like a certain type of man, and it's not fair. And that's the same thing that fat activists are saying. Where it's like society has conditioned people to like a certain type of woman, and it's not fair. And I think there's a reason why a lot of people just naturally reject those arguments. And maybe not even the arguments. Maybe they don't even reject, because like I myself don't even reject that, that argument. I acknowledge that there's maybe a truth to it. I don't know, a little bit at least. But like when I hear that, it's more about the self-victimization. It's not even about the point they're making, that maybe society isn't fair to all people in terms of attractiveness. And, you know, I, I can I can believe that. But the bigger issue is just to use that as an opportunity to self-victimize, to, to act like a victim. Because that's what you see is like people wallowing in it and then trying to demand that other people change because that never works. Like demanding that people find you attractive is basically what you're telling them to do. And it's that's where things are a problem. Those are the kind of incels that I do have a problem with. Not be, but because they don't know better, that's the problem too. Not even because they're horrible people, but just because they don't know better. And I don't like the way incels have been demonized. I think it's actually horrible. People should be allowed to make fun of them. I believe, I believe in free speech, and incels naturally lend themselves to humor. But the people who are mocking them are also the people who are against bullying and all that. I mean, I, I know I'm not creating a, a composite phantom of people who hold beliefs I don't like. I really do believe that like a lot of the people who mock incels are the same sort of people who are like, bullying is cruel, racism is bad, sexism, sexism is bad. Can you believe these guys who feel biologically rejected are angry and self-victimizing freaks? It's like, what do you expect from a guy like that? And it just shows you how much people need validation, how much people need romantic validation. Because, you know, I saw this statistic and, you know, I, I don't check like incel forums. I don't I don't follow anything like that. You know, and I'd, I'd have no problem with it if I did. I just happened to not do that. So I didn't even see this in that context. I have to imagine it makes its rounds. Just some random person who's not even tapped into that posted it. But I could tell it was like posted as a meme or something. And I was like, okay, this is, I can see how this is being framed. But it also made me just feel grateful not to be on there. Because I think that's the problem with those things is like when you're on there, you know you're just a, a statistic. And you even hear men say that where they say it's a numbers game, baby. It's a numbers game. 
Why do you swipe right on so many ugly girls? Because it's a numbers game, dude. You got to swipe right on everybody because they're not all going to match. Like, I never thought that way on OkCupid. But when I was just saying a minute ago how men will date across and down, and I found myself, even just being on OkCupid for a short time, I found myself kind of settling and sending messages to girls that I don't think I would ever go for if given a choice. Not all of them, but just like you end up thinking that way. And, you know, just but just going off that idea, I wasn't thinking like, oh, it's a numbers game. You know, this is a numbers game. You know, I wasn't thinking that way, but that's kind of what I was doing. That's the idea is that it's like you message more women because it increases your chance. It doesn't have to be mathematical, but I think a lot of kids are approaching it that way. A lot of people are godless, you know, a lot of people are godless, yet they're saying a Tinder prayer and thinking like, I'm just a statistic. I'm going to find love or sex. I'm going to find romantic validation, sexual validation through math. But I'm going to say a prayer for it. It's like saying a prayer before you solve an equation. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense, but I like it. <laughs> that might that should be the title. Saying a prayer before solving an equation. That's kind of what people are doing, though, when they get on those dating apps. When they, when they get on those their dating apps, they say a prayer before solving the equation. But I can't even imagine being on there now. And I, I don't look down on it. You know, I'm, I've never been someone who's, who is against dating apps at all or anything like that. They have their use. Do I think they've also made us completely insane? I do. I do believe that. I mean, we, we're already insane, but I, I believe they've made the dating experience that much more insane. And it already is. And I mean, I was hearing something where there are so, there's such a surplus of men in China and so few women that some towns in China, and that's the crazy thing you, you figure out about China, is that they have cities you've never heard of that have six million people. And a lot of them. India does too. That's the crazy thing about those countries to me. Like you'll hear a random story about a certain part in China and it's some city you've never heard of that's not even that big in China and it has more people than most US cities. And you're just like, what? You know, you just have no clue. But I heard something about how they have such a surplus of men that in some towns in China, they all gather in the town square and the men compete for a woman's affection. It's medieval. It's not like jousting. Like, I don't think they actually hurt each other, but I think they do different things. Like, they actually compete. They try to prove themselves. It's primitive, you know? It's cool, though, in a way. I mean, I feel like that would be better than what men are doing now. Like, these men who feel like they can't meet a woman, I feel like, honestly, they would be better served just going to the town square and having to compete in a series of exercises, a series of tricks. Because I don't even know what they were doing. I don't, I don't know what kind of activities they compete through, but I mean, I think some of these guys who are just like sitting there looking at hinge statistics, could that possibly be better for you than going to the town square in China and having to perform for a woman with, you know, and beat other men that way? You know, I think looking at hinge statistics is far worse for you. In fact, I think being on those apps is far worse for you, even though I'm not morally against it. I don't think people shouldn't be on there as a matter of principle. My experience on there sucked. 
Like it was necessary. I needed to do that. I had, it was something to do at the time. And I, I did meet people and had important experiences and stuff. But, you know, when I think about that, the dread, I mean, just the sheer dread of it all. And it seems so important too at the time. That's what got me is like, it seemed so important. And that's the spell. That's the spell that it puts you under where you find yourself thinking like, man, you know, I, I, and I, trust me, I haven't beaten that game at all. I haven't beaten the game, but on there it's different. Like it's one thing if you get a crush naturally, like an organic crush is totally different. (laughs) And you heard it from me. An organic crush is totally different. <laughs> Imagine saying that to your dad. Dad, don't dad, don't you realize that an organic crush is totally different than a the desperation crush you have on Oki Cupid? But um it is like when you like you can still experience all of the dread and anxiety and uncertainty of an or you know when you have an organic crush and like you meet somebody through natural means or you know some sort of natural way basically outside of a dating app is what i mean you can it can still be that experience it can still be stressful to have a crush <laughs> but when you're on a dating app it's like you're not even developing a crush like it's not like you met a coworker or you know you met somebody somehow and you developed a crush on them and you're like oh shit i have a crush on her like on a dating app you're trying to force a crush you're getting on there and you're like who's attractive How'd she express herself? Is that a good picture? Huh, that's... She doesn't look as good in that picture, but, you know, she looks good in the other picture. You know, I noticed that, huh, yeah. This one looks... This picture looks old. Does she have a kid? You know, you're going in and it's like... You don't evaluate crushes like that in person. Like, I've never had a single crush, or even just through organic means. But when you get on a dating app... You get on there and you're, you're evaluating somebody in ways that you would never evaluate a real-life crush. Hmm. Let me compare her pictures. Like, if you see a girl in person, you see her. If you talk to a girl in person, you talk to her. And it doesn't even have to be in person either. But what I mean is, is like, when you get on a dating app, because it's like you're, a, you're it's this system of evaluation. It's not an organic process. You're looking for something. And then you evaluate other people, not based on whether you even like them. Because I remember first getting on OkCupid. And what you first do is you go, you look at all, the, you find all the hot girls. You find all the hot girls the first time you get on. And you think, maybe I have a chance with them. And you might message one. But then the next time you get on... You look at the hot girls again, and then you might look at a few that are maybe a little bit, you know, maybe average. You're just like, well, you know, I might as well look at the others too. So that's a funny thing about it is it's like you go from being like, I'm going to look at the best ones. Okay, show me the show me the next best ones. <laughs> show me the ones that are slightly worse than that. Show me the ones that are just average. Okay, uh, she's a little bit below average, but you know, huh. maybe I'll just message her. Maybe we'll, maybe she and I will just talk. I'll just see if she responds. You know, just 
I need to have some contact. You know, so that's, it's funny how that works. Whereas I don't think a woman really has to do that. I don't, sorry, I don't think like an attractive woman has to do that, but who cares? It's like, I don't make that point for any purpose. I think that's just a reality. I think it's just a reality of life. And that's why it's a waste of time to like, look at the statistics trying to, it's like, you already know this intuitively. So why do you need math to prove it? Why do you need to see the metrics of a dating app to prove it? See, I was right. But I forget these guys are young too. I forget a lot of them. And I mean, that's, it just sucks though to be on there. It just sucks that that's the process now. And it seems like the way those work too is like each one basically runs its course and then there's a new one. And I've heard people talk about it. That's the really bizarre thing is since it's been so many years since I've been on one, I'll talk to friends who are like, oh no, this one's, see Tinder sucks now. Oh no, Tinder sucks. It's all bots and no girls respond to you. There's this new one though. And they talk about how this new one is better. And then sure enough, that one starts sucking or it already sucked and they just accepted it. And then there's, oh, now we're on hinge, dude. And they, I think they have gimmicks too. I think one of them, the women have to message the men, which is preferable. You know, that is preferable. I think for the women to message the men in that system. It makes total sense to me that a man is expected to initiate in person or nobody, but it, I don't believe in that. I mean, I've, I've always let women approach me for the most part because that way it's like, it's, it's way easier. Not, not from like a, not like, like playing a game, stupid shit, but just, it's just way easier to deal with if you do it that way. It's way, you know, it's just way, cause you just know what you're dealing with. But it, it does make sense to me, though, for men to approach women in person, too. Like, even though even though I don't necessarily take that approach, or I didn't in the past, it makes complete sense to me that men would initiate in person, just the nature of things, and that it would be better for women to initiate online. Because it's like you're not a suitor. I mean, that's the thing about being a man on a dating app, is you're not actually a suitor. You're not actually a gentleman caller. There's nothing that stands out about you. And I don't mean that in a mean way. I'm not saying that about anybody. I'm saying that in the sense that unless you're extremely charismatic, unless there's like extreme charisma coming through your photos or you're exceptionally attractive or interesting or communicate something significant, there's nothing that's going to make you stand out. And it's not bad or good. It's just the reality and uh, I don't know, I'm giving like dating app advice for something I barely used. I mean, I feel like I'm the best person to do it. I feel like I'm the man for this job. But it's, it's like you're not a suitor because at least a suitor shows up at her house and makes himself known and her parents see him and there's a process. So it's like you're not, the thing about those things is like people can easily justify them. And I've seen them do this where it's like, well, I'm just a suitor. It's just like old times, but it's online. I'm just a suitor pursuing a woman. I'm a gentleman caller. I've never heard anybody put it in those words, but I think that's how men kind of justify it to themselves, where it's like, it's just like old times, but it's new. But it's not, because at least a gentleman caller or a suitor makes himself known. I mean, my sister was, you know, she was like a pretty girl in high school, and guys would call her. And that's kind of crazy to look back on, because 
these random dudes would just call her just to talk. Nothing dirty. I mean, they were young. They were like 14 years old, you know? But they would call. And, like, I, I think about that. And it's like a gentleman caller. And she would sometimes say, like, oh, yeah, that guy. She's like, I don't like to talk to him. Like, they were all obviously calling her because they had crushes on her. Because she had guy friends. But these were just random dudes who were obviously looking through the phone, the school phone book that they issued out. And were just like, I'm going to call her. And it's pretty ballsy on one hand. But on the other hand, it's like at least two she knew who they were. So it's like, while well, guys could just call girls like that, and my sister would get all these calls from guys, it's not like a dating app where it's just tons of messages and there's not, like, it's really just, there's no investment, there's no connection, there's no existing connection. So, it, I don't know, it just works out better for everybody. I feel like that Bumble one, I think it is, is where women can message men. I like to review, this is my new thing, I review dating apps without ever having used them. But each one has a gimmick like that. That's my point. I don't know what the gimmick on Hinge is. Hinges. The gimmick of Hinge is that it's an actual real nightclub. That's going to be my thing. I'm going to start a nightclub called Hinge. And it's going to be just a nightclub. But I'm going to market it as if it's an app. I'm going to market it as if it's a dating app. And I'm going to be like, come to sign up for Hinge. It's the new club in town. On Thursdays, women get 75% off the drinks. Men get 60% off their drinks because 10%, no, 10% of the men get 60% off of their drinks. That'll make it easy on the bartenders. That'd be amazing if they started a nightclub and they charged you for drinks based on your level of attractiveness, where if you were more attractive, you paid less for drinks. I mean, that's kind of what ladies' night is. This bar I used to go to, this dive bar, would have ladies' night. And I think it was something like half off all drinks if you were a, a woman. I've even heard of bars that have free drinks for women. Because if there's a bunch of women drinking for free, the men are going to be there because the women are there. You see how it works. You don't need statistics to figure this out. Like that bar didn't need statistics to know why it's advantageous to have ladies night where ladies drink for cheap. Therefore, a lot of ladies will come. They didn't need statistics to figure that out. Although they have their own statistics and sales, you know, they know when they sell a lot of alcohol. That's going to be my thing is I'm going to run a nightclub called Hinge. And it's going to be just like an ordinary nightclub. But anyway, no, I want to go back to my idea of charging people more or less based on their level of attractiveness. Where, yeah, like, if you're in the top 10% of attractiveness, you get 60% off all your drinks. Incels pay out the... <laughs> incels pay it. <laughs> incels have to pay a lot of money to hang out there. That would just result in so many mass shootings. Like, if all this stuff just went out in the open in the near future, if, like, all of an incel's greatest horrors just started playing out, like, explicitly. Because, like, the reason why people like that kind of get away with all of it is because it is kind of subliminal. Like, are there biases against fat people? Sure. Are there biases against incels and a certain type of man? Sure. Is it explicit sometimes? Yeah. But a lot of what they're responding to is the subliminal stuff. 
like as a as a former fat person as an ffp <laughs> ffp yo baby i'm an ffp <laughs> stupid <laughs> but as as an ffp <laughs> uh the reality is like when I think back on like how many times I probably got called fat as an insult to my face, like the number of times that somebody deliberately insulted my weight, it's not that often. Like it didn't happen to me significantly often. Like I probably got insulted for other reasons way more often than that. And kids are mean. And I don't think that I was exempt from their meanness at all. But the reality is I don't remember getting mocked like, I can actually vividly remember the few times that somebody actually tried to make fun of me for being fat. And I don't think I developed, like, a deep insecurity about it either. But I do think there was subliminal stuff going on all the time. Like, the way clothes fit. And, like, even if something was comfortable, I was self-conscious of the way clothes fit because I was like, I'm... This doesn't hide the fact that I'm fat. Like, all right, I, I'm a, I look less attractive because I'm fat. You know, so it's like, it, that's the, that was the subliminal aspect for me. The subliminal, and maybe subliminal isn't even the right word that I'm talking about, but just, it was things like sweating easy. Or just clothes not fitting properly. You know, those are the things that really bothered me. And those are actually the, the like clothes not fitting properly is probably the number one reason I would never want to be fat again. Because fat again. Fat again. An FFP never wants to be fat again. No, that's one of the big reasons because I just do not miss trying on clothes and like the cut of the shirt, like hugging your gut in a certain way, or just you know, it's just the, the slightest like variation in the cut of a shirt can be the difference between hell or just neutrality you know it's like it can make or break your life just the way a shirt fits you when you're fat when you're fat when you're fat but uh, it's that's like sort of the, the thing about it but a lot of it is subliminal that people are responding to it's like imagining because i've noticed that with a lot of people where like it's not that people are constantly making fun of their weight it's that they think that people have a preference for a different type of person and that bothers them. And they think that people are always talking about them. Like the way a fat brain, the way a paranoid, a fat paranoid brain thinks is if it walks into, a, if, it, if they walk into a room and they see two people in the corner kind of laughing to themselves and those people just happen to glance up at the wrong time. The fat paranoid brain is says, oh, they're making fun of me for being fat. I just know they're in the corner making fun of me for being fat. You know, that's that's like the way a paranoid brain thinks. And when you're fat, it's just a paranoid brain. But what makes it a fat paranoid brain is the fact that your insecurity is based on your weight. Therefore, if you have a moment of just general insecurity... I saw two people in the corner laughing, like a guy who's bald and is really upset about it inside. If he's in that same situation and he sees two people laughing in the corner and they look at him, he's going to be like, they're making fun of me because I'm bald. I, I know they're over there. Are you making fun of me because I'm bald? 
you know, that's where their mind is going to go because they're walking into the room thinking, I'm bald, I'm bald, I'm bald, I'm bald. A fat person's walking into the room thinking, I'm fat, I'm fat, I'm fat, I'm fat. You know, it's that that's at least humming in the background. It might not be their dominant thought, but if that's a significant enough insecurity, and we all know insecurities are brought out by social situations more than anywhere else. So it's like if that's an existing insecurity and that person's walking into a social situation, that mantra is just humming in the background. And it's going to connect to anything they see. You know, you'll see where people who are heavy even do stuff like if people are taking a group photo. They'll be like, oh, can someone stand in front of me? Or the kid who wears a shirt to the pool. Think about that. Everybody knows what you're doing, right? <laughs> I did that once or twice. I think I wore a shirt in the pool a couple times. I felt like an idiot. <laughs> I felt like an absolute idiot doing that. How embarrassing. Um, but and it's like you're wearing this like soaking heavy shirt one time I was in a Dallas Cowboy shirt and I did it I wore a shirt in the pool and it's like people know why you're doing it everybody's vividly aware of it everybody knows that you're wearing a shirt in the pool because you're fat and you don't want people to see it but it's like it calls more attention to it and that's how a lot of insecurities work which is funny but I mean, those are the things I'm talking about. Like those are the more subliminal aspects. It's like this thing that's humming in the background. And it kind of goes back to what I was saying about bullying time and time again, which is the crazy thing about bullying and all that is I think people have invented these backstories where they were bullied more than they were. I think they've, they've developed these stories of self-victimization. And, you know, it's and like going back to incels because I got on a fat tangent but going back to incels you know like the thing about them too is i think they imagine a lot too there are mean things like i was thinking about this thing that women used to say and people in general but women in particular he looks like a child molester i used to hear that all the time not about me <laughs> that'd be amazing if someone thought i looked like a child molester people used to say child molester a lot more often at some point in time, people started saying pedophile more. I, I'd like to figure out when that happened. Because when I was growing up, you'd hear child molester, child molester. He looks like a child molester. Oh, child molester, child molester, child molester. You know, you'd hear people talk about child molesters all the time. That was the t term that people used. And as a kid, you don't even know what molestation is, you know, hopefully not. Like, it took me years to learn what being a child molester actually was. I thought it was some very specific act. Because I knew it wasn't the same thing as, like, full-on assault. I mean, it is, but I, I mean, I knew it wasn't rape, I guess, is what I'm saying. Here I am on... this. Is, I promise this isn't a rape joke. But I'm just saying the truth was, is that, like, people would use the phrase child molester... And I had no idea what that meant. I knew it meant, I knew it was sexual and I knew it involved touching children, which is pretty much all it is. It's like anything you do to a child that's sexual, any kind of touching or anything like that, including playing them high fidelity records through a, a, a very clear, clean hi-fi system, 
audio audiophilia. No, but uh, you know, I knew that it involved any kind of like sexual touching or anything like that was molestation. But as a kid, like I didn't actually fully understand that. Like I just I thought it was some very specific act that that somehow they learn, like almost like a ritual or almost like some kind of. Um, it seemed like something. Yeah, it seemed like something that. Yeah, like I don't know, like. But like, how would how would somebody learn how to do that? But it, I don't even know. I don't even know where I'm going with this. It's weird. I understand this is a weird tangent. Went from a fat tangent to a weird tangent. But you know, it, it was just something you heard so much. And what got me on that was just thinking about how, like, at some point the phrasing changed. Like, at some point the kind of way the public spoke about it went from calling everybody child molesters to calling them pedophiles. For the last, like, 20 years, I feel like anytime somebody brings up somebody who hurts kids, it's a, he's a pedophile. He's a pedophile. He's a pedophile. You know, that's sort of the way people talk about it. But I swear, like... Between 1990 and 1999, people only said child molester. And they used to say it about people, which is what got me going on this. Is just that, like, people would say about men, like, if there was a man who had, let's say he had a mustache and a comb over and he was chubby, women would say quietly to each other, oh, he looks like a child molester. Doesn't matter if he is or not. They would say that about him. And that's horrible. And that guy's probably an incel. You know, because people would say that about the incels of that age. Because trust me, they existed. Like if some guy was like a 1980s computer nerd. I mean, I saw this footage of an anime convention in a New York basement in the 1980s. In the basement of like a church in New York. In like Manhattan. Some grimy church. In the basement, they had an anime convention. And at that point, they didn't even sell anime here. So these guys had dubbed their own copies and they were selectively distributing it. And so it was all this like extremely limited stuff that like people actually had to bring over from Japan. There were no imports or anything. We're talking like the early days of anime fandom, I guess you'd call it. And every guy looked like an incel. Every guy would, if somebody would say, he looks like a child molester, like big weird glasses from that time period. But those were incels too, but it's like they had anime conventions in basements. And I, you know, I'd be surprised if they got together and commiserated too much about their, I don't know, who knows, who knows what they did, but point being, like there is a certain amount of cruelty that gets directed toward men and sometimes it's directed at men who can't help it and are desperate for love and that's a horrible recipe that's cruel that said i don't know what to say i don't think it happens nearly as much as people want to make it out to be because like all of these insecurities i think a lot of them happen subliminally and I don't think people are openly cruel to them necessarily. I think it's just that these people are exquisitely sensitive. And they carry that hum with them. Like they go into situations thinking like, girls don't like me and they always do this and they're going to give him attention. And then sure enough, like the, not that they manifest that by thinking that necessarily, although that, that too... 
but then they go into social situations and they see that women prefer that 10% of men. And they're just like, oh, this just confirms everything I already believed. And it's like, you wouldn't care if you weren't insecure about it. But to stop being insecure about it, you have to actually just get past it one way or another. And you see roles like the priest. And it's easy to look at the priest. Like you think about in these old Irish or Italian families where they had seven kids and one son became the priest. It's an easy joke to be like, well, that's the gay son. And I think there's some truth to that because it comes up again and again where it seems like, you know, when you have that many kids, there's a certain statistical probability that one of them is going to be gay. And it's almost like the mom selects them at an early age and is like, oh, I think he's going to be gay. It's almost animal where it's like, I think this son's going to be gay. Let's make him a priest. But I don't think it's just the gay sons. I mean, I think sometimes the incel sons get selected as priests too in those families. It's like the parents pick up on something early and we're like, we're going to send him to the seminary. And that's a way of dealing with that. It's like becoming a monk. Like it's one thing to become a monk after already being romantically or sexually validated but it's another just to become a monk straight off the bat, and people do that too. And you almost wonder if like, if some of these men had a path to do that, would they? If, if some of these men out there who are looking at hinge statistics, again, it's I think it's it would be better to be a monk than to be doing that. I think you'd be better off giving your life to God than looking at hinge statistics and thinking, see? I told you the odds were stacked against us. And to act like women are wrong for doing that, I want to point that out. To act like women are wrong for preferring the top 10% of men. Because if given a choice, you would want a top 10% woman. You might not want the top 0.1%, but I think most men would want a woman who falls into the top 10% of what people consider objectively beautiful. Most men would want that. And they might have, they might be pretty liberal with it, honestly. Like, I've never gone through life thinking that way. Is she in the top 10%? But I don't go through life thinking about numbers. Um, but, you know, I mean, you can't blame people. For, like, even if most people don't even want that, you can't blame somebody who does even then. Like, you can't blame somebody for being shallow. Why would you? What do you hope to get from blaming them for that? And again, it goes back to that taste thing. Where I don't believe in trying to control or tell anybody what their taste is. And that's what bothers me about the left these days. Is they're trying to tell people not just what they can and can't like. Or laugh at. Or pay attention to. It's that they're being told, like, you. Sh it's not that you're, you're not allowed to even do it. You're being told that you shouldn't like the things you like. You shouldn't have the taste you have. And that suggests they don't even believe in taste, which sometimes I wonder if they don't. But it, it applies to attractiveness in people, too. People have taste. They like people to look a certain way. And when you try to tell them not to... What are you trying to do? You're trying to dictate what people like. Like if you are a fat person who feels discriminated against, 
It's one thing to call attention to that, maybe. It's one thing to call attention to cruelty that's directed your way. Because there can be cruelty. But it's another to tell people, you should like me. And the reason you don't is because you're brainwashed. Because that's the argument. Isn't that insane? You should like me. And the reason you don't is because you're so stupid and brainwashed. That's the argument. And that's kind of the incel argument, too. You should like me because I'm a better man. But you're, you've been stupid and brainwashed. Do you really think that's a good argument? And it's conspiratorial in nature. You know, it's, that's con a conspiracy theory as far as I'm concerned. That's why it's stupid that conspiracy theories are branded a certain way. Because it's like the whole fat acceptance movement is based on conspiracy theories that people are deliberately trying to hurt fat people and exclude them and hate them. They think it's a concerted effort and that they need to put together a concerted effort to change it and stop it. It's like you're the ones who are conspiring. It's like, no, I don't hate fat people. I don't have any problem with fat acceptance. I would rather a girl be heavier than skinnier, personally. And I'm an FFP. I'm a former fat person. And I didn't hate myself when I was fat, so why would I hate you now? If I didn't hate myself when I was fat, I can guarantee I don't hate anybody else for being fat. Because that's usually the biggest problem of all. Are there FFPs who hated themselves when they were fat? And they kind of take it out now on fat people? Yeah, sure. There's guys who do that. There's women who do that. I'm not one of them. But that's not going to stop me from being honest about weight. And I can tell you positively that when I was just an FP, I knew deep down that my problem wasn't that people were conditioned. I, I don't even feel like I had a horrible problem. It's not like women did not flock to me. I did not have a lot of success with women when I was an FP. I would talk to women. I, you know, I, it wasn't horrible or anything, but it was still, you know, I knew that the pro I knew that like the reason women weren't flocking to me wasn't because they were stupid and brainwashed into, oh, you know what? That guy. If you ever meet a guy and you you seek you, deep down you find him attractive but he's fat, make sure you never go on a date with him. Make sure you never have a crush on him. If you ever meet a fat girl, make sure you never like her. Make sure you never swipe right. You know, it's nobody's taught that. That's not as deeply internalized as people think. The thing that people mistake for deep internalization is just natural taste. And that's one of the problems with everything that's going on these days. It's something that simply comes natural to somebody, which I thought was the whole argument all along. I thought that was the argument for gay people. This is just what they naturally like. And it's so interesting to see that turned completely upside down. Or no, what you naturally like is not what you really like. 
It's what society naturally wants you to do. It's what society decided to make you do. It's like that's this is what happens when you're completely godless, I think. When you're completely godless, you start seeing society as God. And you think that society caused everybody to be the way they are. And you completely forget who made society or who came up at the same time society did. That we created society simultaneous with our own development. Society created us while we created it at the same time. But instead, we've gotten things so screwed up that instead of just saying, oh, God made him that way. Oh, God made them that way. Instead of that, like that's been dismissed. And it's like, that was so stupid when people used to think everybody was the way they were because of God. And then now we're like, society did it. Our culture. No matter what, it seems like we give these abstract ideas all power. Society is all powerful. Tells everybody what they need to like. I can tell you that 60% of the women don't give all their attention to 10% of the men because society told them to. And I can tell you that 10% of the men don't give, atta- don't give attention to 45% of the women because society told them to. It's just what we do. And I'm, I'm pretty fascinated by it. Because I feel so removed from it. That, doesn't, that statistic makes me feel nothing. But it does remind me that there are people out there where with all of the problems that I have going on, I'm really grateful that right now at least dating app statistics aren't one of them. I'm glad that I'm not a man on a dating app going, oh, this is just one more bad thing. This is just one more bad thing now. Because that's kind of what the attitude guys have. And I don't know what the use is. I mean, that's, that's hell. These people are, it's living in hell. Being on a dating app to me seems like hell. It seems like a close approximation of hell. And then taking it a step further and looking at the stats. Looking at the metrics. Playing a numbers game, baby. I'm doing we're doing what we call playing a numbers game. Doing a little playing a numbers game. It's a good way to end up in hell while you're still alive, is how I feel about it. Why not just compete in the town square like these Chinese guys? I want to watch that. I did watch the thing where the North Korean soldiers were performing for Kim Jong-un. That was pretty incredible. I couldn't believe what I was watching. They're like breaking things. They're doing all kinds of feats of strength and like pain endurance. Like two guys put a metal bar between their chests and completely fold it. Just using their chests. A guy laid down on broken glass and they, I don't know, they dropped things on his stomach or something. It was like this bizarre circus act. The, oh no, the craziest one of all was they had the guys like rest their elbow on a board or something. Or maybe I think it was a block. They had each guy rest his elbow on a block, like a concrete block. And then they had a guy with, I think it was a sledgehammer. 
And then he swings the sledgehammer down on the guy's arm and it breaks the concrete block. And it doesn't break the guy's arm. It doesn't even seem to damage his arm. And it's one of those weird martial arts sort of things slash magic trick where like the guy like positioned his arm or like moved his arm in such a way like this is obviously something they rehearsed heavily but it's one of those things where it's like it uses the momentum or something to to not absorb the blow and so the combat like i don't i don't even know it's like you brace your elbow in just such a way <laughs> i have no idea how it works but you break <laughs> i'm gonna try anyway you brace your elbow in such a way that like when the sledgehammer comes down it's like the block absorbs the momentum or something. But either way, I'm watching this and they're doing all kinds of things like that. And Kim Jong-un is just sitting there like a lord, just politely clapping. And all these generals are watching. And I'm like, you know what? This is fucking amazing. It made me scared of the North Korean army. Not scared even in a bad way, just in the sense that like, maybe these guys could actually take us at this point. When you see the state of our country and the state of our military... You watch just this small group of elite North Korean, and they're buff too. All these guys are really buff, doing crazy martial arts, like crazy exercises. They're all shirtless. It was impressive. And, uh, but, but anyway, uh, that's what I meant. That'd be cool if that was the guys in China. Like if the guys in China were doing things like that to impress a woman. I would be into that. But you have to look at some of this stuff and be like, why don't we just go back to the way some things were? Not all things. I'm not a believer in going back to the way all things were. I'm not a traditionalist. A little bit. I like some traditions, but I'm not a total traditionalist. But go back to the way some things were. And I think suitors... I mean, it's like Miles and I have been joking for years, and I feel like people are just starting to catch on. I feel like I saw some woman say this, like a like a somewhat well-known internet celebrity say this, but just the idea that like, hey, maybe it's time for arranged marriages again, but not if they really don't want to do it. But if the kids are open to it, why not? I mean, honestly, there are probably a lot of young women who are, at this point are just like, you know what? I trust my dad. I trust my dad to make a decision for me. Because the thing is, people would observe that. Like, I'm reading Joe Bonanno's book again for the first time in years, the old mafia boss Joe Bonanno, and I just read the part where he talks about, like, when he lived in the United States as he was in his 20s, and his dad was dead, and his, both of his parents were dead of natural causes, and so he lived with his uncle, and so his uncle took him to meet, like, some family down the street or some family a little ways away who they had some connection to in Italy, and it's like they went to the place of work because this family ran a factory. And it was very clear that the reason for taking him there was just so he would be around the woman. Or no, what it was is they had a party. And like it was very clear that they had this little get together between a few different families so that he could meet this girl. And they didn't say it at the time, but it was clearly like they were setting up an arranged marriage and paying close attention. Like he said they were watching them. You know, they were seeing how they interacted. They were seeing if they gave each other attention at this little get-together. And then another day, his uncle took him to meet the woman at the, the place of work where this family ran this factory. And so they basically slowly eased into it and just kind of monitored the way they responded to each other. 
the way their chemistry worked, which is really interesting. And then sure enough, like down the line, pretty soon after actually, like I think almost immediately, like after those two times, they were like, go talk to her father and tell him you want to be engaged to his daughter. And that was a process. Is it ideal? Probably not. But, you know, it might be preferable to a lot of people. And I mean, that still happens organically, too. But I don't think arranged marriage... It, it, arranged marriage has been made out to be something absolutely horrific, where it's 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 like the, the Salt Lake... Um, it's like that, LD, that fundamentalist LDS church. It's like a cult where they're making 13-year-old girls marry 55-year-old men as their, like, 17th wife. You know, that's like the most horrific side of arranged marriage. And obviously, it's easily a corrupt, horrible system in some cases where women have to marry abusive men they hate. Like, I understand there's a really, really steep downside to arranged marriage. But I feel like we've learned from that. Because, like, we just completely got rid of it. And we've gone without it for a while. And I almost feel like we've reached a point where we can be like, you know what? Let's try bringing arranged marriage back without the really horrible stuff. Where if somebody really doesn't want to go through with it, they don't have to. But we'll at least set it up. We'll at least try to do it. I don't think that's such a bad idea. And this is, this, <laughs> this is not my own self-interest. I don't think I need arranged marriage. Uh, but I, I think it would be good for some people. I think that a lot of people have been through this spin cycle. I think this world of dating apps is trying to do that for people in a weird way and making them think that they know what's best for them, which is the weird part. Because a dating app is basically arranged marriage, but with the idea that you know what's best for you. And you might know some of what's best for you, but not all of it, especially if you're young. And that's been built in as like this essential experience. Like that's the problem. Is it like speaking for the women I know, and maybe this isn't all of them, but most women I know, including friends, just platonic friends, it seems like they are on a dating app all the time if they're not with somebody. It seems like they're all on Tinder or one of these apps if they're not actually actively involved with somebody. And I feel like part of it's because it's like there's like this pressure to participate in that. It's like something you're supposed to be doing. And with women, they have an easier time meeting people through it. But then with men, with these incel types, they they feel like they're missing out on an essential activity too. And that's kind of what I was getting at at the beginning, where they might very well find out that that whole thing is not essential to them. They might be the kind of guys who just need one girlfriend that they can marry, and they're completely fine having had sex with one person in their entire life. Like, they very well might find that out. Or they might find out that they only need to have sex with a couple girls that they find decently attractive, and now they can just relax and live their lives and not worry about that one way or the other. You know, they, they very well might be those kinds of guys. But the problem is, is like, they think that this is an essential part of the experience. They think that having sex with tons of girls and getting attention and validation from girls all the time, like they've been convinced that that is somehow an essential part of the experience of being a man and being a human being. And then women feel that way too. It's just the difference is, is that it is easier for women to meet men. 
even if it's not total, like even if it's not one, you know, because sometimes people are like, well, any woman could go out and eat and meet any man. Like, even if that's not true, it is easier for a woman to meet a man. And so as a result, like women can participate in that experience because they think it's essential. But then they might get just as burned out on it. You know, in the end, they might be just as bitter as the incel in my experience. Like a woman who's who's really just been involved with like tons of men who just aren't good to them, mistreat them. Like that woman can easily be just as bitter in the end as a guy who never had anybody. So it's funny. It's like almost like some weird form of horseshoe theory where like no matter what you do, you end up cynical. Like somebody, it doesn't even have to be men or women. It's like just somebody who has been involved with way too many people and had way too many bad experiences as a result no matter who they are, they're going to end up cynical. And the person who can't meet anybody is going to be cynical too. So it's like having that expectation at all seems to produce cynicism in the end, which is why you got to not have it. You got to have no standard. You have to have no system of measurement when it comes to getting involved with people, I feel like. Um, but I wouldn't blame that on society. I think that is another thing that's somewhat innate. Like, I'm not saying that society is the one saying, like, if you're a young person, you better be out there dating and trying to meet people and getting laid, dude. I don't even think it's society saying that. I think that might be something innate, but society needs to create better parameters for it. Society needs to create better systems, which is why I think the old systems are better. Like a, like a gentleman caller seems really lame today, but it seems a lot better than Tinder. Guys in Chinese towns having competitions in the town square to impress the rare woman. That sounds a lot better to me than Tinder. Arranged marriage, as long as nobody's getting horribly abused or mistreated or forced to do it against their will, that sounds a lot better than Tinder. So... You know, I don't know. I, I just, that's how I feel about it. That's how I feel about it. And statistics aren't going to help you one way or another. It makes no difference to know what the statistics are or what they're not. Just go to a, go to ladies night. Statistics in action. You know, unless you're trying to sell something, you don't need, you don't have any business knowing statistics about people. I think it says something about our detachment from nature that we even think we need statistics to know something that we already freaking know. I think that's what disturbs me more than anything. So these are my thoughts on dating apps. Even ones that I've never even seen or used, I still have opinions on them because I can kind of figure it out. I feel like once you've been on one, once you've been on one or two, you kind of know what it's like. And I don't think we're going to beat that. Even if these new ones have a gimmick, you know, even if some of them force the woman to message you, even if some of them do this or that, you know, it, it doesn't really seem to make a difference because they're all contending with the same thing. And that's why nobody should feel like a victim. Nobody should feel like there's any conspiracy to make people like any one type of person. All you can do is just do your best. 
but people who don't want to do their best invent all sorts of ideas that they believe are preventing them from doing that. And they expect the best when they're not being their best. Because if you were being your best, I can guarantee you, you wouldn't be looking up hinge statistics. You'd be going to Hinge Nightclub on Friday night. We Our grand opening is this Friday night. Come out to Hinge Nightclub. You, you, you're sitting there on your weekends. You're looking at the dating app, waiting for this girl to message you back. And the, the only girl who messaged you is an ugly, fat robot. She ain't even real, but she's, she's, she's an ugly, fat robot. And you're sitting there and you're waiting. You could just come out to Hinge Nightclub. It's ladies' night. That means ladies get 50% off. And you know what that, that means, fellas? You know what that means? If it's ladies' night and ladies are getting 50% off all their drinks, that means it's cheaper for you to buy drinks for them. And it also means there's going to be a lot more ladies. So come on down to Hinge Nightclub. And like I just said, Hinge Nightclub, a lot more ladies. Children can run free. 